Good morning, everybody. I wanted to just quickly remind you, if you love B2B SaaS and you're loving all these CEOs I have on, remember, you can get all of their data in a big, beautiful spreadsheet at gitlatka.com. That's G-E-T-L-A-T-K-A.com. So I hope you're enjoying the month. I love December. I love the holidays. And here is our program for today. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Christian Lang. He's the CEO and co-founder and chairman of TradeShift. He started his first technology company at age 19 and is a recognized thought leader and Fortune 500 advisor, as well as a member of the Global Agenda Council on the Future of IT Software and Services at the World Economic Forum. He frequently keynotes conferences on topics such as digital disruption and business agility, along with supply chain sustainability. Christian, are you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. That is that is all a mouthful. A lot of large uh, uh, things that sound like they move very slow. I think it's pretty simple, really. I mean, there's a bunch of really large companies that are being completely turned upside down with what's happening with technology. Um, and it's really fun to get to work with that. Tell me what TradeShift does and how you make money. So um, we are um, build cloud-based software for supply chains, which means we help the largest companies in the world um, connect and do business with all of their suppliers. And we help companies all over the world in more than 190 countries connect and do business with their customers. Um, so that can be anything, manufacturing, getting paid, um, sharing and collaborating around product, prototypes. Um, yeah, it's a huge network for business. How do you make money? Um, well, that's pretty simple. We charge our customers. Uh, so uh, all of our enterprise customers, they pay for the platform. It's an annually recurring license fee. Um, and we like to believe we deliver a lot of value for that. So just to be clear, there's nothing, uh, there's just one kind of flat annual contract fee for both the companies using you and the suppliers those companies pay or just the companies? So, so I mean, in this industry, there's for many years been this idea that the supplier should pay for it, but it doesn't really make any sense. The suppliers are trying to get online, the suppliers are trying to do business, the buyers are the one that really get the large-scale economics and, and benefits. So we flipped the whole model on the head and said, look, we will charge a flat rate fee for our large customers, we'll make it free for suppliers. Um, charging for suppliers would be a little bit like uh, if Mark Zuckerberg, he charged you to upload your vacation pictures on Facebook. Um, you want as many suppliers as possible on your platform, you want to make sure there's critical mass. Um, so we built that. So you, you have a flat annual fee, you said? Yeah. What, what is, give me a sense of that. I mean, on average, are we talking a, a dollar, 10,000, a million? <laughs> um, probably the latter, more than the, the, the first. I mean, these are last installation, right? I mean, one project can span 50, 100,000 suppliers um, for one customer. Um, supply chains, that's essentially the heart of the economy. So uh, running them is, is a pretty big deal. Um, and it's a long sales cycle. It's not easy to sell. It takes time. You need to convince them. Uh, that the future is cloud-based and not, you know, old school 
um, yeah. enterprise coverage. If, so, if, yeah. if I forced you, though, to just give an average so I, we can avoid talking about every cohort you serve, because I'm sure you serve many cohorts, what would you say the average is? Oh, I would say we're probably in the high end of the, the public listed SaaS uh, B2B companies. Uh, so something like 500K ACV annual contract value and upwards. So, yeah. Now, if you have a, I'm curious, you have a flat fee like that. How do you drive expansion revenue if you keep that fee, fa- that fee flat? Um, yeah, it's right. Try to say that three times. In yeah. the <laughs> no, I mean, the way we, we expand is um, essentially two ways, right? So typically our customers, they start with one or two processes. Um, so they might go and say, oh, we want to connect to our supplier so we can get the master data and we can run our procurement process with them. Um, so that's the starting point. But then uh, they figure out, hey, we also want to do corporate social responsibility. We might want to do working capital. Then we have apps on the platform, just like uh, Force.com or even your iPhone as a consumer. And those apps are essentially expansion points. And the reason that makes a ton of sense is for an enterprise customer, the most expensive part is actually not the software. It's the change management. It's the what management? Change management. Having to go out and tell your suppliers, tens of thousands of suppliers to do something different. So if you're already connected to suppliers on our platform, you can just push it as a new app instead of having to go run a whole new process. Um, so that's our expansion point. Got it. Um, that flat fee, I mean, do you? it sounds like that expansion point you just articulated is you can add on additional features or different additional product lines. Are there any um, numeric-based, utility-driven expansion points, like number of seats, number of suppliers? Our license fee is always a product of the scale and the size of the project, obviously, right? So it is a flat annual recurring fee, but we look at number of suppliers, we look at number of transactions, we look at number of users, and then we calculate from that. Then typically, you know, two to three years in, um, if the volumes are far above that, you know, that, that's the baseline. But we actually see, I mean, almost all of our contracts see expansion more from the process side, like adding more processes, um, quicker than we see it from adding more users because we put so many users on early on that we, we pretty much saturate that metric very quickly. Um, so it's much more about adding more processes necessarily than it's about adding more users. Now, when did you launch the company? What year? So uh, Tracy is seven years old. We launched in 2010. Okay, so uh, you have a good you have a good sample size of data. You just mentioned expansion expansion revenue is pretty predictable. Uh, I, uh, I mean, what is it typically? Is a five hundred thousand dollar account moving in year two up to a million dollar account? Yeah, I mean, I would say we see you know even so starting maybe from early on. Now remember it's ACV right, so maybe you started three fifty four hundred, and then over time of the contract. We see most contracts move into the one one point five million dollar dollar range, some even more, right? Over so what period of time? A year, two years? Two to, two to three years. Yeah, and it's incredibly sticky revenue because you're working with something that's very long term, right? It's not like oh, we're going to go switch what we're doing with our supply chain tomorrow. So, I mean, does it is it is it fair to say kind of the average customer coming through you? Maybe again, like you said, year one is three hundred, year two is going to go up to you know five six hundred grand, and then year three is going to be pushing the million dollar mark, something like that. Yeah, I think that's that's probably pretty average. And I think it's for a startup, it's really important to to think about how your, especially in the enterprise sales, how your revenue capture work because the cost of sale is pretty constant. So we very early on consciously as a strategy said, no, we're going to go for the other end of the market. We're going to go for the guys who over time will pay a lot because what you find is it's the same sales cycle to sell 50K to enterprises as to sell 500K. 
Um, the only difference is really how much revenue capture, right? Yeah. I talk to these CEOs all the time that there, and maybe there's many listening right now where, you know, the highest price point they have is a hundred bucks a month. Well, I challenge you to go find any publicly traded B2B SaaS company that's done very, very well that has as their highest price point, a hundred bucks per month. You won't find any. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, Jerry Chin from Greylock, he did this really, I don't know if you saw, he did this really amazing article about the death zone in the middle, right? So you either want to do millions and millions of transactions where you get a little cut out over here, which no is touch. very local, no touch, low conversion cost, digital sales, or you want to do very high value capture enterprise sales force. And the death zone is the middle. And what's interesting actually is we do a little bit of both. Now I told you we do enterprise sales, but all of that enterprise sales that connect the supply chain is essentially a marketplace, right? It's all of the suppliers trading. Um, and that's millions and millions and millions of transactions. And, uh, all of that GMV is, of course, also monetizable. So and we like gross merchandise value. Yeah, yeah, and we like to think about we consider both both ends of that scale, um, but we we really avoid the middle. I, I don't like the middle a lot. Now, have you bootstrapped the company or have you raised? Oh, we raised how much? Um, so one hundred and ninety million dollars. So yeah, one hundred and one zero nine or one nine zero. One nine zero. One nine zero. So this is obviously significant. I think probably I've only had maybe seven people on that have raised more than you. Why raise so much capital? Look, uh, in B2B, capital is everything. Um, you can literally draw a straight line between the best performing B2B public companies today and how much capital they have access to. Um, capital is Salesforce. Capital is number of accounts. Capital is market share. Um, capital is global scope. So, so I think, um, especially in B2B, do not underestimate the power of capital. Um, if you're a consumer, you can play very, very different playbook. But if you're in B2B, uh, capital is, is really king. Unless you have a, you hit some magical cash flow early on, like Google did with advertising, um, you will need it. As I'm traveling the world on planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, guys hear it. I'm closing loads of different deals, whether it's buying a company, closing a new account for gitlatka.com, you name it, I've got to do it. And part of my issue is signing documents while I'm on the road. So I just found this new tool. I'm using it pretty aggressively. It's called Sign Easy. So you can get started for free at gitsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. You'll see contracts that I've signed there and boy, oh boy, are they big and they work and the app is so easy to use. Get started today at getsigneasy.com forward slash podcast. Now, give us, give us, help us understand kind of more around your economics. So I imagine these kinds of customers you're going for, they can be maybe early on, it was difficult to find them. But to date, what are you willing to pay fully weighted? So including your inside sales team, et cetera, fully weighted, what are you willing to pay to acquire those customers? Oh, um, <laughs> I, um, I think, you know, I mean, we are pretty much on par. We track with CAC for most things. We are pretty much on par that an enterprise account it costs essentially first year revenue before you um, before you live, right? So it's a one to one factor. Uh, so you do ago, you do have less than a twelve month payback period? Yeah, just about. Sometimes a little bit above, sometimes a little bit above. But if you go two years back, it was one point five, right? So um, it's it's fallen quite a bit. And and what you find is, and I think wait, hold on, sorry, Christian. I don't mean I don't mean to cut you off. How did you go from eighteen months? to 12 did you either two things two levers you pull you either increase the price point or you decrease what you spend to acquire the customer which pull did you pull um we, we decreased the spend and the way we did it was through partners so 50 percent of our revenue today arrived through partners 
And the brilliant thing about partners is they typically already have, and this is BPOs, SIs, you know, they have a relationship with the customer. They already, many of them have a contract with the customer and they have a mature uh, relationship so they can bring your sales cycle in much faster and they will take, they will take the brunt of the early cost and they will give you qualified revenue. So that's how you get it down. I think. Can you name one of those Christians specifically just so we can put a face to it? Yeah. I mean, companies like Bpro, Capgemini. Vpro? Bpro, it's an Indian big um, BPO and outsourcer technology company. Capgemini. You mean, you mean v, v as in Victor? Yeah, double W. So W I P R O. W O oh, Wepro. Got it, got it, got it. Epro, yeah. So interesting. So it's do you. Accent. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. So we. Okay, got it. IT services consulting, system integration, and IT outsourcing. Got it. So walk me through the economics of a sale through Wepro versus a sale through your own channels. Like, do you just pay them a cut or, or and you put that into COGS or what? No, normally we would. Normally you would do that, but we find for most of these sales is there's so high value alignment with what they do with what we do. So. Remember, they do a lot of IT services and outsourcing. So maybe they do process outsourcing for the customer. They're into some very competitive sales cycles. And what's happened in their market is that in the past, you could just bid people. You can't do that anymore. You need to bid technology to win. So they, there's a fierce competition having the best technology platform when they bid. And for instance, Vpro have gone exclusive on Treadsheet as a technology platform. So they picked us as a technology platform. And we help them win accounts that normally wouldn't win because we can give them a big edge on the digital side. So just to be clear, if you get an account through them that starts off at a $400,000 or $500,000 ACV with you, you're keeping 100% of that. And the reason yes, you have that yes. leverage is because WePro needed to be able to say they partner with you to win the account in the first place. Yeah. And on the other hand, they also add a lot, right? Because they can add services teams on top of our platform. They can help us differentiate with the customer because they can go out and say, not only do you get the base platform, but we can also go in and build apps for you, dear customer, that run on the platform. So, so they help us a lot also by adding credibility, by adding strategic heft, you know, all of those things. Yeah, so, they, yeah. they also, I mean, probably drive a lot of your expansion revenue. If the expansion revenue is driven Absolutely, by more yeah. processes, WePro is essentially an outsourced professional services team. Yeah, exactly. With yeah. margins that are probably 60%, meaning while you're at 85, 89, 90%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to do that. You can't scale your professional services to meet your customer demand when you hit this stage. You really do need to outsource. Um, so, I mean, uh, if we had to run everything through us, um, it would be impossible to manage. Yeah. No, you see this with HubSpot and their and their partner program and many, many very successful B2B SaaS companies. So, so just to be clear there, to finish up the gross margin question, are you in the typical SaaS range? You're like between 85 and 90%? Yeah. Yeah. No, Absolutely. no weird above the line expenses. No, no. And I mean, that's on, of course, on the enterprise side. If you look at the marketplace side, it's like 99% because of digital sales, right? So got it. So and then just to round back to to about two or three minutes ago, your CAC, if your ACV year one is between 300 and five, you, you said you get paid back in 12 months. So you're willing to spend 300 to 500 grand on that customer. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Where, where, where does that money go typically? Is it the salesperson, the long sales cycle or what? It's, um, it's, part. I mean, the lead phase is not the most expensive. We, we are well known in what we do now. And I think, you know, if you do a project, we're typically on the list. Um, but when we spend the time, it's with the salespeople. Um, we do a lot, almost like Palantir did in the early days. So forward deployed engineers, prototyping with the customer, going out and showing concepts for what it can be and what it can look Flying like. Flying to them, giving presentations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're spending lots and lots of time with the customer before a deal happens, right? So it's FaceTime. Um, almost like half consulting really in that phase, right? How many team members do you have and what percentage of those are doing the flying around in the FaceTime? So we totally, we are out 600 people, um, doubling roughly year over year. 
Um, and right now, around a third of that is our sales force, right? Okay. And all based in San Fran? Nope. Are uh, completely global. So we have sales team in um, Europe. We have sales team here in North America. We have a big sales team in China, um, Tokyo. So yeah, it's, it's a global sales force. Very uh, cool. Last few questions here before we wrap up with the famous five. Uh, churn is obviously critical in a business like yours. And you have two types of churn, obviously logo churn and revenue churn. Uh, what are, maybe you like to talk, maybe you're, you strike me as a positive guy. So we'll flip it and talk about retention. What's your annual logo retention? I love this question. Um, we never lost a customer when live. You never lost a customer when what? That, that went live on our platform. We never, ever lost a customer that gone live. Uh, we lost customers from sale to going live. Either, I mean, in one case, the company got bought um, and essentially had already a platform. Uh, in another case, um, the whole team who was responsible for the buy uh, essentially left, got fired, left before um, go live and uh, the new people came in. But I mean, in the history of the company, we may be talking two to three logos. Yep. Now, so, just to be clear, you guys don't have to have a lot of customers to make a lot of money because of your, your contract value size. How many customers are you working with today? Around 150. Okay, got it. So 150. Now, look, the genius, this is what I love, and I'm going to pull this out because you, you maybe you realized or you didn't realize you did this, but the genius in what you just said was you, you, you haven't lost a customer once they've gone live. So like a lot of a lot of like new SaaS founders, they'll just consider anyone that starts paying them a new customer when really you shouldn't count them as a customer until they hit the activation things you know they have to take to start getting value. So you have that clearly defined, which is why you can very confidently and accurately say we haven't lost any once they're activated. So the real question there for you is how do you figure out what those activation metrics are and how do you drive everyone on your team to make the customers hit those so we talk about it at supply chain conversion and, and by the way i want to point something out right um every sales SaaS account goes through like um a valley it's almost like the hype cycle in the beginning you have the honeymoon everybody's happy you've done the sale and the lowest absolute lowest point in that journey is go live because that's where all the problems occur that's where the honeymoon is over and that's, we, we do something we call hyper care in that phase. So we really, really caught about, I mean, we have a full on team on the customer, making sure every single little bump gets taken care of. And the activation that we care the most about is what we call supply chain conversion, right? So you're a live customer on our platform, you go out, you invite 10,000 suppliers. Our goal will be to have at least a third of those live within the first few weeks, because that's where the stickiness comes from. Um, and that's also where, I mean, the business case for our customers, quite frankly, come from. And that's what we have optimized to be probably 10 to 20 X better than most of our peers that came before us in our industry, because it's such an important stickiness metric. Right? Well, it's, it's a network effect. What you've done that most people don't do is figure out what it is that, that, that has a direct correlation to stickiness. Like some people will, will the CEO will pick something out of thin air that he or she thinks is important, but it's not what makes the customer stick. So just to repeat that for you, it's, it's, it's supplier activation, meaning a new customer for you. They need to, you know, invite 10,000 suppliers. You want to get at least one third of those suppliers to accept and buy into and sign up or whatever to trade shift in the first six weeks. Yeah, and transact actually. So we know if they're transacting, they don't churn. And so so that's that's the goal. And we do that, we pretty much track that for all of our accounts. And having that, I would say, laser focus, especially in our professional services, has absolutely helped us, you know, have the retention rates we have. What do you and assume? Good. No, and I mean of course also with we talked about the the CAC here. I mean, with three to five hundred K in in sales costs, you don't want that account to churn. I mean it's a huge it's a huge loss. Um so so that's the other reason we 
we, we focus on that and, and really almost overinvest in the early phase, right? Yeah. What do you assume? Now, this is always back in the napkin math, but for you, what do you assume lifetime value is on one of your customers in dollars? It's an interesting question. It's far longer than contract time. Um, I mean, most systems we replace are 10, 15, 20 years old. Yep. So, so you she, could hypothetically take a fully onboarded three-year customer paying you a million bucks per year and multiply times 15 years and say they're worth 15 million. You could, yeah. I mean, we don't have the data for that, obviously, yet. But I think it's it's fair to assume that that's the kind of lifetime stickiness you're looking at. What do you think, like with a high degree of confidence, it's definitely more than, you know, five million? Yeah, I would say definitely more than five. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Very, uh, very cool. Let's uh, wrap up your last question before we wrap up uh, with the uh, the famous five. So you said 150 customers, you know, if we do a $500,000 L, you know, uh, ACV, you know, that puts you guys well over the, the $60 million ARR mark. Have you broken hundred million yet? Haven't broken the hundred million yet, but we're getting there pretty fast. Come on, Christian. When's it going to happen this year or next year? Probably next year. Late next year. You think? Yeah, let's see. We have some things up our sleeve, so it, it might happen faster than you think, but yeah. And am I generally correct? You're doing above 60 million in ARR so far. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Let's wrap up Christian with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Um, right now it's team of teams by Delona crystal. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um, I mean, there's a lot. Jeff Bezos, Mike Benioff already, you know, masters at that. Number three, besides your own, is there a favorite online tool you have? Um, that'll probably be Slack. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, six or seven. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Married. Any kiddos? Yeah, one. One kid. How young? Um, he's like two. Yeah. Okay. So good. So you're getting sleep. He's he he's sleeping the night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And how old are you, Christian? Uh thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Last question. Take us back nineteen years. What do you wish your twenty year old self knew? Um <laughs> when you sell your company, take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> did you sell one before this? Yeah, yeah, I did. So very early on. And so I think um, you just, yeah, you don't know anything when you're 20 or so, but it's good. It's a really good lesson. Yeah. Guys, there you have it from Christian founder of trade shift, uh, doing very, very well. We talked most about activation metrics, what I appreciate, but founded in 2010, he since raised $190 million serving 150 customers. These are customers that deal with hundreds and thousands and thousands, maybe tens of thousands of suppliers. He knows what he needs to do to get them activated. He hasn't lost an activated or live customer LTV to CAC ratio, totally in check again building with many many global offices around the country helping to try and solve the supplier kind of a, a company relationship christian thank you so much for taking us to the top thank you for being here